0: Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. And welcome to Episode 70 of The Storytellers with Lisa Luca's profound memoir, Ashes to Ink. Lisa has won multiple awards for Ashes to Ink, but she's also just been recognized as a wonderful citizen of the literary community. She's just been awarded the Outstanding Women of Astia Valley for her contributions to Borderland Community in Literature and in Media. Today we'll be talking to Lisa not only about Ashes to Ink, but some of her other memoirs and her amazing podcast. Lisa, welcome to the Storyteller's Microphone.
1: No, thank you so much, Grace. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: You do such amazing work, and I want to dive in right away to your memoir, which is Ashes to Ink. Tell us about it.
1: Well, um, growing up in the 1960s and 70s in the Midwest, I had sort of an idyllic childhood, and when my parents divorced, I learned that my father was gay, and it was a very unsettling time. Uh, It was not something that we would hear about in, you know, regular everyday life. So it was a really sort of taboo secret. And it's a story that I've always known that I would tell. And what made me, you know, after my father's death, I felt like the time was right to show how far we've come with acceptance of LGBTQ families, but we still have so far to go.
0: I love that you put that there so succinctly, right at the beginning, and you have an absolutely beautiful cover. Thank you. I love that it comes with the feather. So I love (laughs) absolutely everything about embracing this novel. And I think it's really important to say that the disconnect you had with most specifically your dad, but your family in general, had nothing to do. I mean, certainly there was the discomfort of, boy, this is different. I didn't know this. But it's really about living authentically and what you felt. So share your experience of boy this isn't the family I thought we had. Right, and for me
1: the the betrayal was the thing that was so disruptive to our family. And my outrage particularly like into my 20s, I moved to San Francisco in 1982. My father moved there a year later, which was so unexpected and I got to see his lifestyle up close and personal in a way that the rest of my family didn't. And what I realized was just how compromised my mother's sexuality was going into marriage at 19. And I felt like we we were four different people that my sister's also gay. So all along in my life, we were not your usual regular family at the, you know, Thanksgiving table, you know? Um, And yet my parents stayed best friends. And, And so what I really learned through their relationship is the power of friendship is the foundation for a really strong partnership. Even though they didn't stay married, they stayed close for all those years. So what I realized was that my father living an authentic life, being who he truly was, my mother accepting him, uh, allowed me to be more open-minded as a young girl. And into my adulthood, it became sort of where I've landed in my quest for living true to who I am and helping others do the same.
0: Because you do not only write, which you do beautifully, you're also a life coach.
1: Thank you. Yes, yes, I am. Live true coaching.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about that journey, because I think a lot of that sometimes is so much about our own personal growth, isn't it?
1: Yes, I uh, I was a single mom. My son was three when I left my marriage to my uh, roadie husband after a tour with Janet Jackson for a year. I ran off and married a roadie and moved to Tennessee and the inevitable divorce three years later um, led me back to the Chicago area with my family. And I was in corporate marketing. I, I needed to support my son and I couldn't do the kind of cool rock and roll work that I had been doing and post 9/11 I was laid off and I wanted to reinvent myself and I I wrote an essay for at the local library for this woman who was a life coach this is of course in in 2001 and um, I I won the essay contest and, and was given a few free coaching sessions so I sat at her kitchen table back then. It was all, you know, in person. And after three sessions, I said, I want your job. I want to help people find out who they are, what they want in their lives and and make a plan to achieve that. So I went back to school and became a coach.
0: I love, as you, anybody who listens to the storytellers knows that I love these stories of reinvention and always being open to that reinvention, because that's, part of the key, isn't it?
1: It really is. You know, at the time, I, I I really thought I wanted to be a writer, but I also was realistic enough to know that that wasn't going to necessarily pay my mortgage and help me raise my son. And unfortunately, that's a problem for a lot of people in creative arts, that it isn't necessarily something that's, that's going to be sustainable as a career. What I did learn, though, was that this was something I was really gifted with in that I had the ability to shift perspective and reframe and, and, and I had to do it for myself first, you know, coaching school for a year of self evaluation was quite um, a gift because it helped me really come clean and true to who I am.
0: So talk a little bit about that process, because in Ashes to Ink, you talk about that and you you talk that you've acknowledged that your dad is now passed on. How was that with him at the end? And what was your transformation like through that Ashes to Ink process?
1: Well, you know, what I realized throughout my life as I got older and more involved in the psychology world because of becoming a life coach, that my father and I, our problems really stemmed from his narcissism and that that, in fact, colored everything. And once I realized as he was getting older and more frail and I really wanted our last years to be closer, that if I allowed him to be who he was, and stopped fighting against his need to be right, I just decided that would be a better way. So we had a lovely last few years uh, in his life, and he was very proud of me as a writer. He was... um, that was, that was one of the things that, that connected us, you know, when I did websites and things, you know, he'd wanna go over it with a red pen and it and, and made me happy to bring him into my world in that way. So as we got to the end of Ashes to Ink, you know, my, at my father's passing, I, there was a lot of, of closure and, and beauty in the fact that we had reached even maybe a fragile peace, but peace nonetheless and and I really believe that all families have to come to some understanding of who each other is. These are not people you choose, you know, at least in this world, you know, in the other world. I, I believe on a soul level we all choose each other. And so I came to that conclusion that you know, if I could accept my family for who they are and all of our differences, that it would be a lot easier to to love them and then feel them accept me because I was the one fighting against all the norms. I, I wanted an extraordinary life, and I came from a very ordinary place, except underneath were some extraordinary secrets.
0: I, I would say that we had some extraordinary things going on there. They just. <laughs> perhaps, right. especially in this Ozzie and Harriet, for those people who were way younger than me, they won't get that reference, but that sort of perfect world, right, where, you know, the white picket fences are there, and the dad comes home for dinner, and everybody's happy, and, you know, on the surface, you had that, and underneath there, were, and in, in fact, that was extraordinary, right, just to have that leave it to beaver world, in some ways, was extraordinary, but then you have this complexity as something, um, extraordinary as well. You chose memoir, and that's something you like and use in other um, parts of your writing as well. I love that you wrote an epistolary memoir because most people I bet who don't come out of a Catholic tradition don't know what epistolary <laughs> is. So I, I grew up with the letters and the epistles. The from epistles, that. yes. So tell me a little bit about why memoir and then why an epistolary memoir?
1: Well, you know, why memoir, I, 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 because I have made some, you know, sometimes reckless and rebellious choices. I have a very interesting collection of stories to tell. So they, I I have something to draw from, and I always have found it easier for me to write from true life than to make things up. Although I, I, I'm open to down the road, maybe writing a novel. Um, When it comes to the epistolary, Mark and I, my partner, we had been friends for many, many years. And when we finally got together, and I always had a secret crush. um, When we finally got together, I had saved all the emails that we had written to one another. And I printed them all out. And I had just moved back to California. And we sat on a beach and just passed pages back and forth, not in any kind of order, just reading stories. He's also a writer. And there were these lovely passages and rants about um, life and love and God and parenting and purpose. And and I didn't want to be the only one to ever read his beautiful words. And I I felt like they told a story. And we talked with a, a, a writing coach actually, and said we want to weave these into a book. And she started reading them. She said, "I think they tell the story." And so what we did was put them in chronological order, and and actually, uh, the entire book is our emails to one another over a period of ten years.
0: And the growth you must see in that, and some of the <clears throat> excuse me, and some of the things you must have. Gotten hung up on in a ten-year period, which you can now look back on and say, "Seriously,
1: yeah, yeah." Because he was unhappily married on the West Coast, and I was in the Midwest, and you know, single mom raising my son, and and so we go back and forth and back and forth over all the different challenges that we face, and eventually find our way to one another. So, so it is a love story, which is kind of funny because when we. St- finished reading all of these. And there's a stack like this. And he, he puts his foot on the stack and he goes, you know what? This is one heck of a love story. And oh. I'm like,
0: no. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. This is one I have not read of yours. So I'm going to look forward to that. But I'm also intrigued by Crone Rising. Can you tell us about that?
1: Well, Crone Rising is a a compilation of many stories by women over 40. I thought that was kind of a low bar for Crone. Although, you know, once upon a time, a Crone was actually a woman in her 30s. Women, you know, we didn't live nearly as long. And so there was a call for submissions. And I had just gone through um, sort of, uh, I was turning 60 and I... Legally changed my name to Luca, which was a name I had been writing under for ten years, and and I was owning my own uh, inner crone, and I had a, a Zoom celebration with all my goddess girlfriends, and so so the crone was really heavy in my psyche at that time. And when I saw the submission, I wrote sort of a a, a, a Reader's Digest version of my story for that book, and um and it was one of the the selections.
0: I am fascinated as anybody who knows and who listens to my work, this idea of, as we grow older, continuing to learn, continuing to contribute. So I love that you embraced this crone idea of yourself and uh, other women. What are some of the things you've learned as you've gotten older, Lisa?
1: Well, I would say, you know, one of the things that I like to think of is that we can choose to grow older or grow elder. And, and I intend to be a wise elder. I, I have young women in my life that I, I call my fairy goddaughters that have sort of come into my life over the years. Just met one actually in Santa Fe when I was at a retreat last week. And, and really trying to let women know what I've learned and help them on their journey. Because I, I feel like it's, it's a real privilege to, to grow older. A lot of people don't make it further in their lives than, than a young age. And so I honor that by not um, resisting aging and by embracing every new year as a new possibility, my birthday's next week. So I'm excited to get another year older. I I don't think that I think we as a culture have, have, conditioned women to believe that aging is is a bad thing and that we need to hide it and we have to try to be younger. And, and I think we need more voices who talk about the beauty of aging and how we can be a support to younger women as they go through their lives.
0: I, I think you're exactly right. I'm 69. And I am stunned at, you know, certainly the things like changes in my body, et cetera, but there's something very freeing about being this age. And it ties into what I would think if, if I could be so bold as your moniker of live authentically, live true. Uh, at this age, there's no more room for pretense and there's no more room for putting up with what we don't need to put up with. There, those are my big takeaways. So talk about your radio show which is on public radio and I've had the honor of being a guest on your show. But talk So about, good. Thank you. Talk about live true and being authentic.
1: Okay, so live true uh, my my coaching is livetruecoach.com. I'm a, I've been living this truth for a long time. So when we moved to Southern New Mexico, the opportunity to uh, submit a program came up and live true, made the most sense. And it really has evolved into a show that celebrates people living true to themselves and their creativity and who are putting their voices in the world, putting their projects in the world, putting their, their beautiful meals or gardens or tables in the world. It doesn't have to be the classical arts to be creative. And so I really am trying to inspire people that when we are in creation, and when we are makers, that we are more fully alive and present. And so that's really what the show has become. I interview uh, writers, of course, but also, you know, artists and change makers and teachers and all kinds of interesting people who Especially as they're going into their third act, you know, those of us who are over 60 going into this legacy making time when we have an opportunity to take what we've learned, how we've grown, what we know, and, and funnel it into something that will live beyond us.
0: One of the things I was so struck by in your writing and in some of the interviews I've listened to about you is you have a great sense of attention to detail and it had to do with things as simple as, you know, it's not just writing or painting. It's also putting a great meal on the table or it is putting a garden together. It doesn't even have to be beautiful, but that's how you're expressing your true self. One of the things I was struck by in going back to Ashes to Ink was just what I thought was such a poignant little aside, which maybe others wouldn't get, but you talked about what it was like when your dad had moved out of the house and you noticed his toothbrush was missing for the first time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that life is, you know, God is in the details, people say, you know, I I really believe that life is in the details. And I think it's what, what we all are most connected by are those everyday things. And, And we get used to them and when they're out of place or out of whack, that's when we can be alerted to change or uh, make some adjustment and and it it usually will be positive eventually. you know a lot of times that the pain is really hard to go through as a little girl. I didn't really understand you know what that meant because every single day for 10 years of my life, Dad's toothbrush was in the same place. So I, I think it's important that when we see these little shifts that we we are inquisitive and curious. You know, curiosity, I think, is what keeps us young at heart, more than anything
0: else. so we talked about being authentic. We talked about your amazing writing. And throughout all of it, there's also a theme of forgiveness. Am I right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think more than anything, we have to forgive ourselves. You know, we are all flawed humans and, you know certainly there is a forgiveness of my father but i'm really clear that that even though he doesn't maybe even quite accept my apology i didn't really do it for him i did it for me i think we unburden ourselves when we forgive because holding hostility against another person doesn't really hurt them it hurts us so Forgiveness can be a beautiful release of anger and pain and fear, and it doesn't excuse neglect or or abuse. It certainly doesn't, but it it does make us better humans and and allow us to be free when we can let go of that anger.
0: Free and authentic. Yes. Yes. Lisa, it has been such a pleasure having you at, right as we wrap up. Tell me something quirky about yourself that people might not find out about you on your website or somewhere else. Um,
1: I'm a high school dropout.
0: <laughs> um, and, and, and
1: I say that because I think there are times that I've had that little imposter thing because I didn't go to college and and I, I can feel really out of sorts around that sometimes, but I think it's important to, to, to you know, it's, it's an unknown fact that I don't publicize. But it also says that we can learn in a lot of different ways than school. And, and that I've made a point of that through books.
0: Learn and succeed and share amazing words. And Lisa Luca, thank you for being a guest on The Storytellers.
1: Oh, thank you, Grace, so much.
0: This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and authors on the air, Global Radio Network. Thanks for being with us. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.